We have been in this series for uh, the last several weeks that are, that are touching on um, the, the basics according to this list in Hebrews 6. That's an awesome list there. Uh, this list of things that, uh, that the writer of Hebrews thought was just so elementary, it didn't need to touch on them again in the context of that writing. And in that list, we had things like the laying on of hands and faith in God and repentance from uh, works of death. Um, and we have this, this baptism. And what I think is particularly interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for our graphic because this milk jug and, and, uh, and the way that the author used that analogy of using pure spiritual milk. Um, did you know that as, you're, as you age, your body changes? Did you know that? <laughs> Is that something we're all familiar with here of going like, okay, we have a couple four-year-olds and five-year-olds and three-year-olds in the room, and then we have, a, you know, maybe a few 80-something-year-olds in the room. But, uh, and if you look at the difference, you say, oh, there's a difference. <laughs> because as we age, as this time captures us, change continues to happen. And one of the things that can change in your body as you grow from, move from uh, childhood into adulthood, is that if you stop drinking milk, your body will stop producing the enzyme that will break milk down, because it's not a natural thing. It's something that you're given, something that, that you're given from a uh, your mom, your dad. And what happens when, that, when, when this occurs in us is we call it like this, we call it something like adult onset lactose intolerance. And there might be some nodding of heads. Um, and that's why I think this is particularly fascinating because what that means is like we stopped, we stopped revisiting this substance and then we forgot or we can't break it down anymore. Somehow it becomes a discomforting thing to us, and that can happen spiritually as well. If we don't revisit the gospel, if we don't refresh and again recall the good news and go back to the grace and these profound elementary truths, things like the love of God and repentance from, from evil and things like the laying on of hands and things like baptism and what all of this means, somehow it becomes something foreign and we go, oh, but I thought it was all about this these complicated theological you know, discussions instead of the foundation of this pure spiritual milk. And so I'm glad that as a church we're revisiting this because we can't forget what's so foundational. If we do, we might find ourselves at some point finding it actually discomforting. We go, oh, repentance from evil, what is that? Laying on of hands, I don't, do we do that? Baptism, I thought, ah, oh, baptism. That kind of feels, uh, I thought, don't we just need to just, don't we just need to pray and go to church and become good people? You see what I'm saying? So I'm really thankful that we're, that we're touching on this uh, that on this series, and that Pastor Earl has done such a great job of, of sharing the depth of these simple foundational things, according to the writer of Hebrews, that we find are actually just so rich, just like milk. We go, oh, wow. 
because we haven't been given skim milk here. I, I'm, I hope you realize that. There's not been skim milk coming. We've been given the full, you know, fully leaded kind of, kind of milk. I hope that that continues here this morning. Uh, today we're actually going to be looking at baptism, which is something I'm really excited about and particularly fun to me. Um, it's an ancient practice, actually. This, isn't, this didn't uh, begin with the church. Didn't begin, because, how do we know? Well, with John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist was not a Christian. He actually began his ministry before Jesus, and he's out and baptizing people in the Jordan. So, and he's doing that in tradition with a long line of, of prophetic ministry that says there's something about who you are that we're going to lay to rest. And the person that you are coming, that's going to be different. And it became like, it's like a cleansing ritual. Actually, if you, if you break down the word, especially your Bibles might use this in Hebrews 6, it might say something like cleansing rites. Um, something about baptism was meant to signify newness, freshness, cleanness, and that what it was in the past is being washed away and is not part of who I am anymore. Uh, which is, I'm kind of glad for, because otherwise what would have happened is we would have these disciple makers, we'd have these apostles who are going around making disciples and are saying to, uh, you know, to their neighbors and their family members and their community, and they're saying, okay, I, I mean, just, I'm demonstrating the love of God, and would you like to follow Jesus too? And this person says, well, I mean, everything that I've seen in your life says yes, there's transformation happening in you. There's a, there's a love of God that is deep in you, and there's something about the way that you interact with God that I want to know that peace. I want to have that kind of gladness. And then the next thing we would say is, okay, well, you can do that. Uh, whoever uh, believes in his heart and, and confesses with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, okay. Um, and then you'd say, now what are we going to do? And you'd say, well, I've got this group of friends. I've got this group. There's a lot of us who are just like this, and we're, we're spurring one another on towards love and good works. We get together on Sundays because that's the day that Jesus raised from the dead, and so we remember that resurrection is the foundation of everything we believe. And you say, oh, well, that sounds all kind of rather simple. I think I could commit to a few meetings. You say, well, there's one other thing before they'll let me bring you. Um, we, we, we're going to get baptized. We're going to baptize. We're going to do some baptism. And if you're completely unfamiliar with this, it might sound really strange. I mean, I really, I mean, seriously, try to take a step back and look at it as if you have no idea what's happening. Because what it looks like is somebody saying to another person, we're going to take a bath but we're going to keep our clothes on so it won't be that weird. And you can invite your grandparents to come and take pictures. And after we do that, I'm going to get you really wet and then I'm going to bring you up and that'll be it and you can come to church now. And if you have no idea what's going on, you're kind of looking at that going, that sounds like a little weird. I'm not sure that I actually want to be part of this. And that you'll see that that's, that's kind of the early church format is saying, like, we're going to make sure that you know what it means to become part of this community. We're going to make sure that you know what it means to be brought into this family, who, to be brought into this life. Because believe it or not, for that early church, it meant risking your real life to be part of and walk in his life. It meant risking your earthly life 
to join in the ministry of the life of Christ. And so before you could do that, and sometimes these are secret meetings that they're not letting anybody just, I mean, it's not a publicly advertised on a, on a digital sign. I mean, these are covert house churches with code as to whether or not where and when the meeting is going to be taking place. And so the question is, are you ready to lay your life down? Are you so committed to the life of Christ, do you really believe, are you, are you following him, no turning back? Because until that, we know that, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're not exactly advertising. Does that make sense? It's kind of a really amazing thing about church history that the church grew and exploded and expanded so much because it was under such threat so long. And there's this thing here that's been there from the beginning that Jesus himself, Jesus himself did and actually was baptized. And we have a few different baptisms in, in the New Testament or even in the, in, throughout the biblical narrative. We have the baptism of the entire nation of Israel uh, when they are released from Egypt and they go into the land of promise. Um, many recognize that this baptism happens at uh, the Red Sea, that they're going through that water. And the, who they used to be as slaves in Egypt is no longer true. Who they are is now God's people and they live in the land of promise. Okay. We have John's baptism, a baptism of repentance from evil, a baptism of, of uh, consecration almost, of setting yourself apart for God's purposes and will. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have the baptism of fire. What the church is talking about here, what we have in Hebrews, though, is this baptism into the life of Christ. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans 6. Um, what we find out, we're going to end up looking at Romans 6, is we see that when people baptize other people, it's about sharing belonging and belief. It's about saying, we're together in this. It's about saying, we're now walking the same way. Okay? We're of the same mind. We, we see the same truth. We are owning the same truth. We're walking the same way, and we're in this together. And that's a special thing. That's a very special thing. Baptism uh, is, is kind of, um, the church has owned that then for a long time. For many churches, if you're not baptized in that church, you are not a member of that church. In some times of history, in church history especially, if you were not baptized, uh, you could not be married to somebody who was. If you were not baptized at some times in history, if you weren't baptized, you couldn't even be a citizen of that particular region or, or country. What we see, though, in, in this baptism of Jesus is that it's a, a personal announcement, something that isn't done in secret, something that's done with someone else on purpose to dedicate and to, to recognize a belonging and belief to and with Jesus, okay? I cannot stress this enough. You're going to see these two words come up 
all <laughs> this whole time. As long as we're here talking, what you're going to find is these two words are going to keep coming up, with Jesus, all right? So anytime you hear those words, with Jesus, you just want to make a mental highlight, circle that, underline it, say, okay, with Jesus. In fact, actually, so let me give you a good example. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, brainy guy, well-educated, zealous, man of God. For all intents and purposes, he is uh, of the people of God. He sees that there are other people who say they're of the people of God, and they're acting in a way that he believes is contrary to what the people of God act like. We don't worship men. We worship God alone. God is one. Therefore, this man who you worship as if he is one with God, you are blasphemers, and that means you, you, we can't let this go on. Do you see Paul's men, mental frame of mind? Zealousness for the name of God. He had been careful to study what that would mean for his whole life. Saul has a supernatural encounter with the risen Lord on his way to Damascus. Knocked from uh, whatever he was riding on. I can't remember if it was horse or donkey. Probably was a donkey. Um, knocked from that, struck blind, and hears and talks to the risen Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? From that moment on, he has to find out more. What in the world is going on with this Jesus person? He's sent to Damascus, where he's told to go to a straight street and just wait. As he's there waiting, God is talking to, Jesus is talking to another man somewhere else in the city. His name is Ananias, and he says, hey, Ananias, this guy named Saul from Tarsus is waiting for you to come and bring him into the fellowship of believers. He's waiting for you to come and bring him into my community, into my body. He's waiting for you to come and let him know that I am welcoming him. And Ananias says, I've heard of that guy. Are you sure? And God tells Ananias, I'm sure, don't worry about it. And so what does Ananias do? Ananias goes to find Saul. He finds Saul, he lays his hands on him, it says something like scales fall from his eyes. Now you would think that if anybody, in, of everybody and anybody in the New Testament, that we were convinced Jesus had saved them, had called them to be his own, and that they were going to do some amazing things, it's probably Saul. But you know what happens next? He gets baptized. Ananias baptizes him. So even in this supernatural encounter with the risen Lord where it is obvious that Jesus is doing something, there's still a willful declaration that Saul has to make. And he has to tell everybody, I'm dead. I live in Christ alone now. He has to do that. He is invited to be baptized by Ananias, and he has to submit and see another person lay him to rest and bring him up. Even Saul, who we will know as Paul, the missionary, uh, when he's writing to the Greeks. See, so we have this very special thing that's happening here that God is doing, and we find that it's for everybody, and that it's a way of saying like, oh, I'm part of this now. I belong here. I'm part of this thing. If 
That means baptism is announcing belief in Jesus and belonging with Jesus. Something you declare on purpose, not something done to you without your awareness. Now, this is a staple kind of core value of what we would call uh, uh, of an evangelical tradition. Now, especially in the missionary church, where part of our root system actually f- finds its, uh, its life from a, a church movement that began back in the 1500s called the Anabaptists. And they told the rest of the world, they told the Lutherans and the Catholics, they told everybody, unless you were baptized as an adult, as a believer, somebody who was consciously saying, I, me, my name, I, I am going to follow Jesus as a, as a conscious decision, we're not sure that you actually ever were baptized, whether it was as an infant or sprinkled or, or uh, maybe, maybe somebody, a well-intending uh, monk like, um, we'll see here. Congratulations, you were just baptized, he said. <laughs> said, I think it would be a good idea since we're going to be wrestling against Satan's cavemen tonight that uh, you could be, and whoosh, Can you be baptized that way, do you think? I don't think Esquilito is really a part of that decision. He's not saying, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow the life of Jesus. I'm going to submit to baptism. I'm going to participate in baptism. I want to be part of this moving forward. So we, in this kind of vein of thinking, uh, in terms of baptism as an Anabaptist-veined community, would say, I think we could try that again. (laughs) So, see what Romans 6 has to say. Paul, who we were just talking about, who was baptized by Ananias after being supernaturally blinded and then healed by the risen Jesus. What then are we to say? Should we continue sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to and go on living. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, Paul is quite adamant that his readers understand the invisible reality of their salvation and new identity with the Lord. Throughout his letter, in this Romans letter, he's been arguing 
for an acceptance of Gentiles into covenant promises of the historic Jewish faith. And here he ties the greater promise of salvation to the new life identity in Christ that is demonstrated by confessing act that they had all individually taken baptism. See, he was able to say, don't you know that we who have been baptized have been baptized and buried with Christ in his death? That's that language of belonging. This is something we do together. This is something we do. So baptism is about sharing an external action for an internal reality. Something about that internal life, something about who I am in the sight of God has fundamentally shifted from death to life because of faith in Jesus. That happens invisibly, but I want you to know that it's happened. So how do we symbolize that? How do we recognize that happened? How do we declare that? Baptism, being laid down under the water, just like you were being laid down under the ground and being brought up. See, it's not that baptism itself is accomplishing anything except an admission into and a celebration of your inclusion in the body of Christ. Baptism itself isn't accomplishing what God has already done on the cross. It is not accomplishing salvation. We are saved because Jesus was buried, was Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. We are saved by what he did. And that's happened by faith invisibly, in the sight of God, for us. But I want to really celebrate it. I want to really say, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just amazing that God took a dead person and made him alive again? And I'm not talking about just what he did for Jesus. That God has taken a dead person and made him alive again. It's amazing. Baptism is where we get to celebrate that invisible reality, where we together get to say, isn't it amazing? Now, if you're somebody who reads Scripture often, and I hope you do, there's a couple words that I'm just asking you to pay attention to. I always pay attention for the word with, Make a mental note when reading Scripture because this simple preposition helps us understand relationship, connection, or presence, especially between people. And what we see throughout Romans 6, I think it was seven times, is these words, with Jesus. Now, the early church, the early church was marked by that relationship. Take a look at, well, take a look at some point. <laughs> Sometime today, look at Acts 4. And you'll see James and John who are doing something incredible and they're preaching and they're, t they're, they're bound and put in prison. And when they're brought before the elders, when they're brought before people who are going to decide whether or not they're guilty against, for crimes against God, what they say is, these people have been with Jesus. That they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, and that they took note that they had been with Jesus. 
And many of us, we feel disconnected. We see 2,000 years of church history, and we go, I don't know that I've really been with Jesus. I believe. And I've been with his body, and so spiritually and invisibly speaking, I know that I've been with Jesus. But what is amazing here is that Paul says, in baptism, we have been. In baptism is where we are with Jesus, for real. In baptism, we participate in the, in the death and the resurrection and the new life of Christ in a real way. Now, that doesn't mean that in the split second that we put you under the water, you open your eyes and there's Jesus waving at you. What it means is that Paul is saying there is an intersection of your lives here. It is not an already, always, already, not yet kind of reality, but in baptism, we are with Christ. If we can learn to walk in a life where we recognize and know that we are walking with Jesus, it will fundamentally change everything about the way we live. Because who I am when I think I'm alone, who I am when I'm all on my own, is completely different than who I am when I know I'm with Christ. That relationship brings definition to my identity. That relationship brings purpose and definition and grounding beauty to who I really am. And in baptism, I know I've been with Christ. In baptism, I know that I've been with Christ. In baptism, I know I've been with Christ. So baptism is about being with Jesus. In death, in life, and in glory. Paul's getting at something in baptism, in this, in this discussion. He's getting at something that's asking his, his church, this people who are gathered in Rome, in the belly of the beast. He's asking them to consider, you know all the things that are still so tempting. You know all the things that you don't know how to get rid of. You know all those things that feel like they've just got a hold on you in such a way their claws are dug in and they're not going to let go. You can't fight those off. No sheer willpower, no moral fortitude, no way of you just saying, I am going to stop sinning. Has that ever worked for any of us? I'm going to stop sinning. If we could do that, we would not need Jesus. But what we find is Paul saying, you're looking in the wrong place. Look to baptism. Look back to where you said, I'm dead. See, that sin has got its talons in a dead man. Let them have the corpse. You walk in the new life with Christ. You walk in the new life with Christ because sin can't get him. Sin has no claim to him. Sin has no hold on him. Death can't follow him anymore. 
and you're going to walk with him, and it can't follow you either. See, it's an identity shift, not an activity shift. Does what I do determine who I am, or does who I am shape what I do? If I keep trying to change my activity in order to establish my identity, I've got it backwards. Instead, what we see is I am a new creation. I walk with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't walk that way. Jesus doesn't walk backwards to death. Death is in the rearview mirror. The wages of sin is death. There are no more wages of sin for the resurrected Christ. So if this identity shift, this fundamental grounding of who I am is with a risen Christ and I walk with him, I know he is not going to walk back to death. Not in the way that is judgment. Because baptism is yielding to death proactively, going with Jesus, not by judgment, but in faith that he is leading us to true life in the Father. I think we see this in, in Romans 6. We see this as Paul continues to just get so excited and say, don't you remember baptism? Don't you remember when we took you down and we brought you back up? Don't you remember that that means that you are now dead and Jesus is alive and you are with him? I could get so much more into this. (laughs) But the reality is, many of us do not know how and what it means to walk with Jesus. And so I'm hoping today, I'm asking today, that you recall baptism and you remember and you know and you believe and you recognize that in that moment you're with him. And from every moment since you're with him. Because baptism is about being with him. Baptism is about saying, I'm with you. I'm going where you go. Whatever that looks like, wherever that leads, I trust you to take me to life. And if that means that I'm going to carry a cross and I'm going to see death is now uh, a, a past reality, then that means that I don't have to fear that anymore. I'm going to skip this next point if you'd like it. I can talk to you more about after, after the service. When we walk back towards death, it likely means that we have forgotten who we are when we are with Jesus. Okay, I just want to sit there and camp for a second. When I walk back towards death, when 
when I see the wages of sin and I know that they're leading to death? Is it possible that I don't know that I'm with Jesus right now, right then? Is it possible that I feel alone and I go, this is the best I can do? Is it possible that maybe I've even pushed him away and said, I don't want you to see this? When I'm scrolling Facebook or some other social media, when I'm alone in the car, or when I'm, when I'm just got cut off. You know, you, could, you, can, you know what that is. What I'd like is to encourage you this morning, friends, that it's not through simply a disciplinary approach to changing what you do that is going to reshape who you are. It's not by losing your temper and walking away and 10 minutes later saying, I've got to stop doing that. We need to learn how to recognize that in the moments when it would be like us to lose our temperature, our temper, because we're not with Jesus, it needs to become more like us to remember, I am with Jesus. Because through the, through the continual binding of that relationship where we recognize and we do not let it go, I think we're going to continue to remember more often than not who we really are and where he would really lead us in those really difficult times and in those difficult moments. And there's, in those moments when we have a history of acting one way, but we know in Christ it should look a different way, how do we remember, how do we recall that in baptism I am with Jesus? And that I walk in resurrection life, that I walk in a life that has been raised from the dead of that life. Thank God for Pentecost. Because I think we might say, I don't know how to live in glory. And we'd be right. Thank God we are not asked to figure this out, this new life alone. And we are raised with Christ to walk with Christ. That no longer in fear of dying, for he leads us where death can't follow. The song that we visited this morning was telling the story about a man who decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. We're going to revisit that again now, without singing, but knowing what we're hearing, knowing what is echoing in our souls, maybe. And my invitation this morning is that as you hear those notes, as you hear that melody, that you remember if you were baptized, that you remember that moment and you recall what it means to be with Jesus in death and in resurrection and in life. And if you have not been baptized,
to share that opportunity with me or Pastor Earl or Pastor Andrea anytime. Because we'd love to bring that opportunity before you. We'd love to say, let's do it. But even if you haven't been baptized by water, remember that that is an external declaration of something that has already happened if you have, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, if you have put your faith in his death and life and resurrection for the salvation of, of you. And so this morning, as you hear those notes, recall that decision. And if, if you find that you can't help yourself, I invite you to raise your hand or to stand or to use uh, one of the uh, places here at the front because it's a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And I'm thankful that we get to remember this morning that it's not following him way up there, but that it's following him right here because he saved us to be with us. And we really are.